2: He's so
3: tight, he squeaks when he walks.
1: The Greta streak cannot be stopped since Greta dunked on Robert Sarver. The Suns have won four games in a row for the first time in 10,000 years. Sam Cooper, how are you doing?
3: Uh, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. Uh, Happy to talk about this win streak that we finally have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. The the last time we made any sort of prediction for a week, as we had been doing, sort of reviewing or previewing the week's games... We just said we're just going to continue saying oh oh for four <laughs> for the time being, and then they did the exact opposite. They actually won four games in a row. This is one of the most surprising turnarounds in the NBA so far. It's been really exciting to watch so far,
3: right? Well, then I think it got too depressing at a certain point, and we just stopped. stopped making predictions yeah. all together. <laughs> we just we just <laughs> totally gave up.
1: Predictions. I, that's not why we started this podcast. <laughs> It's too hard to make predictions, especially you with a team the, like the Suns. You I
3: got mean, the uh, Trevor Ariza prediction right for free agency <laughs> Yeah, and look how it? that ended up. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so who knew Who knew what was going to happen there? It's a very bizarre thing where the Suns were in a really weird moment. We we had some podcasts recently where we obviously last week we talked about the Robert Sarver's really bad week from hell where he just got bad press hitting him from from all sides and in a sense what a team could do in a scenario like that where they're just getting attacked by the press and attacked by fans you know obviously not pointed at the players but still pointed in the direction of the suns in general they could cave they could collapse and and the exact opposite happened so they actually stood up and and they've played really well and and they seem to be developing surprisingly for the first time in the history of the Phoenix Suns, somewhat of a defensive identity. This is something that wasn't really... I mean, when you looked at the roster and you see a bunch of wings, you think that that's what should happen, but it surprised me. Is it as surprising to you, Sam?
3: Yeah, it it is surprising given that, at least on paper, you can sort of start to see the Suns flesh out their idea of, of roster construction, which is to take a guy who we know doesn't have maybe a ton of defensive potential in Devin Booker and surround him with these really long players. Um, But to this point, those players have just lacked the discipline necessary for, for us to see any actual results out of it until now, where obviously, as you said, I mean, the Suns have played fantastic defense over, uh, over this current winning streak, but also over basically all of the month of December as well, I think it's been improving.
1: Yeah, and I think, so let's talk about it, every every one of these games a little bit, and everything that sort of happened in between them. So the first win in this win streak, the Greta streak as we're calling it, was versus the Dallas Mavericks at home. Now that was a really interesting game to me, because it started off as one of the worst games, and, and ended up actually as one of the worst games DeAndre Ayton has played, although he did do, Pretty well on defense. He he ended that game with only seven points and five rebounds. Um, the The team picked up the slack. That was Jamal Crawford, seventeen points. Josh Jackson. That's when Josh Jackson started the string of really good games that he's played so far. Although he was still five for eighteen, and and they and they won that game. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, and then that game is one yeah. of those games where you look at TJ Warren, who was eleven for seventeen and had thirty points, and you just say, "This is this is our number two. This guy is legitimately." A number two and could be a number two on this team for a long time going forward. It makes you really happy uh, about that contract that McDonough locked TJ Warren up in. Uh, what did you think of that Dallas game?
3: Yeah, it was it was fun. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Josh Jackson. Uh, he, he did shoot five of eighteen from the field. He did also shoot three of six from three though. And when Josh Jackson, I think it was Suns film room uh, who tweeted it out, but when the Suns win, it's because not because, but Josh Jackson is hitting his threes. Um, it really helps when you can just get a little bit of spacing out of him because then couple that with the, uh, defensive pressure that he applies on the perimeter. And he really starts to become more of this complete, uh, jack of all trades player. So obviously he was good in that one. Um, Rashawn Holmes was very good. Basically, the bench was very good in this game. And the box score wow. reflects that as well. It's surprising, <laughs> right? But, but yeah, it does hold up. I mean, if you look at the box score, Josh Jackson was a plus 14. Jamal Crawford was a plus thirteen, and Rashawn Holmes was a plus sixteen. Josh Jackson actually has the highest plus minus of anyone on the team over the past four games on on this winning streak. He's a plus fifty two, which is um just really surprising to me.
1: Yeah, and you look at if you look at just the box score, box score stats alone, you you can just look at that five for eighteen and think. Well, I mean, if you just look at it this way, he had 17 points on 18 shots. I'm sorry, 14 points on 18 shots, which is pretty bad, just just efficiency-wise. So then you kind of have to dig in and say, what's made Josh Jackson good so far? And I think there's a couple of things. One, he's driving all the time. He's not taking a lot of shots, although he did take six threes in that game. By the way, only the third game in his career that he made three three three-pointers. He's never had a game where he's made more than three three three-pointers, so that's a max he can do. Uh, the Suns actually have lost one of those games, surprisingly. You would think that if Josh Jackson's hitting threes, there's no way we lose, but uh we did lose one of those games, but two and one in those games. And I think part of it is he's playmaking well. He I believe he had five assists in that game. He he's his handles are getting a little tighter. Uh he's making smarter decisions on fast breaks. I think that was a big thing. Maybe not as much in that game, but as the win streak continued, he made a lot of really smart decisions. And I think more than anything else, when a bench lineup is on the floor with Josh Jackson and Rashawn Holmes, and then you can kind of have guys like Mikhail Bridges and DeAnthony Melton mixed in in there, they, they become a really defensive lineup. They tend to take the other team scoring personally. And that sort of identity with that bench unit going forward can make a huge difference. Do you agree with that?
3: Absolutely. I, I tweeted out today that since December 1st, um, five of the top 50 players in the NBA in deflections per game are on this current roster. And they're exactly the guys you were just talking about. D'Anthony Melton, uh, Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, TJ Warren was actually on that list as well. Uh, and then Kelly Oubre didn't play those games for Phoenix. He played it for Washington, but, but just theoretically you can take Jackson Bridges um, together off the bench, pair them with Holmes down low at the five. Um, and then Kelly Oubre, another wing and, and maybe D'Anthony Melton at point in some minutes, and that's an amazing defensive lineup. I mean, you might sometimes struggle to get offense out of it, and that's where you have to talk about um, platooning those types of players with TJ Warren or, or Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton to make sure that you have a, a shot creator in there somewhere. But you have all sorts of versatile defensive weapons at this point, and that's a really good problem for Igor Kakoshkov to have.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know, shout out to Trevor Ariza in that game, who actually played pretty well, and that ended up being his last game in a Suns uniform and I don't think as we record this which is it's Thursday the 20th right now as we record this no Suns fan is going to miss him after what happened in the game yesterday where Kelly Oubre played incredibly well even for a guy who didn't shoot very well he had one of the biggest shots of the game and he was great on defense and appears to be engaged more than anything else and Trevor Reza as we knew was a little up and down on that and there were some reports we should quickly talk about Trevor Reza there were some reports funny enough Sam of one of the reasons Trevor Ariza was not happy when he got here is he had <laughs> not visited the team ahead of time. And when he got here, he realized that the training facility is a pile of crap and we have no personal chef on the team. Although the team does cater meals for the team, there was no personal chef that could just make things for him on the fly, which which are two things. I know a lot of people say, oh, these millionaires complaining about their personal chefs. No, it kind of makes sense when your job is based on nutrition to have a personal chef uh, employed by the team. So I kind of defend him on that. But it comes back to something we've been talking about over and over again. Funny enough, the practice facility. <laughs> this, this is going to be a conversation until we build a new practice facility. And it legitimately could be affecting our ability to get free agents at this point, right?
3: Yeah, it it definitely could. It The Suns need to buckle down and invest in their team in order to get because the practice facility will pay dividends I know it's a complete meme that we talk about on the, on this uh, podcast every week at this point, but uh, I do truly believe that uh, a new practice facility is just the way to go. Top free agents will not want to come here, not only because it's the city of Phoenix. It's not the biggest market out there um, with the biggest attractions, but also because of things like that, the practice facility.
1: And the other thing about it too, interesting enough for me, what what I've been sort of thinking about around that discussion or that conversation is the Suns took a lot of flack for two things that they did. They got rid of Tyson Chandler and Trevor Reza, but also there was the waving of Austin Rivers, which is something we haven't talked about yet. Austin Rivers is gone. Um, good riddance. Uh, we were on the fence That's about that That's something you already. predicted, actually. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. I said it was a possibility that they could wave him. I just didn't think it would happen because it seemed like Oubre was originally going to Memphis, so it actually did surprise me. Um, I did say it was a possibility, though. But... What I find interesting about it is Rivers didn't want to play here. That's what it seemed like at least. Tyson Chandler didn't want to play here. Trevor Reza didn't want to play here. Those guys are veterans, and they did not want to play on this roster. Ubre did not have any problem playing here. Um, Ayton, of course. Mikhail Bridges, these guys are all very excited. DeAnthony Melton to, to be on the Suns because they're young, and they're not accustomed to what other veterans are accustomed to. So, so their expectations on a practice facility is, there's a basketball court there, and I can learn to play basketball with these guys that are my teammates. And I'm just excited to get out there and be on the floor. And when you talk about changing the culture for a team, it's a weird thing. Where the Suns release Austin Rivers, they wave him, and they get flack for it. If the Spurs traded for Austin Rivers and Kelly Oubre and waived Austin Rivers, they would not get that same flack. They would say, of course, the Spurs don't want to bring in an attitude player like Austin Rivers into their, uh, into their perfect Spurs culture. It's just a whole different discussion. The Suns are in a weird place right now where they need players that want to play for the team. And it just so happens that veterans are not those players and those veterans are actually hurting our chemistry. It's really never, I've never really seen a situation in, my time following the nba where a veteran actually makes culture worse on a team you know save for jamal crawford except for where the Suns are right now they need more young players because young players enjoy the the situation they're in where they can get a lot of minutes and they play with other people that are part of their generation and there's more camaraderie building there thank god for jamal crawford by the way but well, what do you think about that
3: i know we're jumping way too far in advance right now in this conversation but how does that What you're saying right now, uh, because I do agree with it, I think, for the most part, how does that impact free agency next year? Because when we were having our conversation before the season started, in terms of our season predictions, the whole idea was to win enough games this year that you can start to attract some more veteran free agents. Maybe not the max contract players, but some more good players next year, because that is what cap space is for, after all, uh, and continue forward with some momentum. Right. But are are we just going to be caught in the same cycle every year of signing yeah. more Trevor Arizas?
1: you That is a very good point and a very good uh, conversation to even have right now. Funny enough, not something that we planned on talking about, just kind of the flow of the conversation here. But what's the name of our podcast, right? <laughs> it's the timeline. And now we're back to it. We're back to having that discussion. Maybe focusing on the right timeline with these guys is the right move to make instead of trying to bring veterans and unless they could be guys like Jamal Crawford, where if their minutes are up and down, they'll be okay with it. And if they understand that my only role in the NBA right now is to teach these young players, uh, you know, that's where Jamal Crawford's at. And, and if we do focus on veterans, they should be low-cost uh, veterans like that instead of $15 million for Trevor Reza or 12 to $14 million for Tyson Chandler per year. These types of veterans, it's proven they're not good enough here. And And, and maybe when we get to a point where the team is a little older, We can start focusing on players like that, but maybe maybe to your point, we should start looking at players on restricted deals, maybe like a D'Angelo Russell. Not that he's the perfect fit, but he'd be a great shooter on this team, and maybe that's more closer to the timeline that the team's on. Maybe we should start looking at free agents that are a little younger like that.
3: You know, if I really want to put on my Homer glasses, it's right now that I could remind people that a decade ago, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder in... What maybe even was their first season in Oklahoma City, I, I don't remember, I'd have to double-check, but they started the season 4-30 and 30 with a really young Kevin Durant and a really young Russell Westbrook and other young prospects like um, James Harden wasn't even in the league yet. I don't even believe Serge Ibaka was in the league yet. I think Jeff Green was their other main prospect. Uh, they started the season 4-30. and 30. They went on a push, or at least as much as, uh, of a push as a young team can go. Finished that season with 23 wins, which, you know, is a much better second half pace than their first half, where they looked absolutely abysmal and were constantly uh, ridiculed. And then the next season, they come out and win 50 games. And in one more year, they were in the NBA, or two more years, they were in the uh, the NBA Finals. And they didn't sign any veterans to get them there. It was just totally, completely trusting the process.
1: Yeah, the timeline.
3: <laughs> it was the timeline. That's the original timeline, what Sam Presti did. And then, of course... Yeah. Here's the thing. If you do that, you're you're doomed or destined to make the same sorts of decisions that Sam Presti had to make in choosing between James Harden and Serge Ibaka. And obviously, people now go back and say uh, that maybe that he made the wrong choice in choosing Ibaka. But if you have all these young guys grow together, you can only keep them together for so long because eventually you can't pay everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, first off, two things on that. One, Rashawn Holmes should be our number one free agent uh, target in this in this coming uh, free agency because he's he's one of the guys that I believe is changing the culture, especially on that bench. He's just a guy that's constantly giving energy, and as we talked about, those guys are important. I know you guys know how much me and Sam love uh, Shaq Harrison, and of course, my love for PJ Tucker has been on public display for the last ten years. So. These types of guys matter for a culture, and Rashawn Holmes is one of those guys. And the fact that he's not an old veteran that needs a personal chef, that's important. You should sign that guy. He's on the right timeline for this team. And the other thing about that is Dave Yeager just actually said that they have the new school Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant on the Kings, by the
3: way. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that quote. Yeah, actually, I, I I did see that. I didn't even make the connection when I was <laughs> just saying that. I don't know if I <laughs> would go that far. Um, Although I do want to say people are shitting uh, too much on Marvin Bagley. They're just, you know, the kid looks pretty good. There's no prospect in the top five right now that yeah. looks like a boss to me whatsoever. And and people are just still making relentless Doncic jokes and comparisons and I don't know. I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, I don't. Well, one, yes, I agree with that. Uh, but also, I think it's a little unfair to put Kevin Durant on Marvin Bagley at this point. He's, yeah, no, Kevin I wouldn't, Durant, I wouldn't of, go that far. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the greatest offensive players of all time, and and I will say the Fox Westbrook comparison, I don't mind actually. <laughs> that that Not at one all. seems that seems a little more accurate. Fox, I don't know. I almost. As far as if I look at Russell Westbrook and Fox at that same point in their career that Fox is at, I would say that Fox is actually playing a little better than Russell Westbrook was, but who knows what they'll develop into. Like I said, we're not in the game of predictions here, so uh,
3: who knows? And can Buddy Heald become the next James Harden? He's averaging 20 and 5 this (laughs) year. No, he's Steph Curry. No, I think he's like Steph Curry. He shoot like Steph, but he big like Clay. (laughs) (laughs) Because (laughs) I'm... I think that's a really obscure reference. I don't even know if people know what I'm talking about.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. I also don't know if
3: that's an offensive Vladi Divac impersonation. I didn't even try for a (laughs) Serbian accent.
1: No, I'd say it's not. I think you're good to go. (laughs) Okay, so all we've gotten through 17 minutes into recording here is that uh, we played Dallas. But (laughs) the next thing that happened... (laughs) Devin Booker's back. He's back. And he's like for real back now. It's not like Devin Booker coming back and his and his his hamstring still hurts. He appears to be fully healthy now. And he came back, of course, in time to play against his best friend in Carl Anthony Towns and the Minnesota Timberwolves. This was a very interesting game to watch because we sort of saw the team putting it together a little bit without Devin Booker, and it could be fool's gold. Like we don't really know what it's gonna what it's gonna look like when Devin Booker comes back. There's always a speculation of, oh, the offense is running, but it's gonna look a lot better with Devin Booker on the floor. But this is proof; it looked a lot better. A very interesting game. What did you think about that Timberwolves game?
3: Uh, well, exactly what you said. Devin Booker is back for real. Uh, I remember when we were having conversations when he was back for the first time that. He just didn't look like himself. He wasn't attacking the rim in the same way. Uh, and he just looked hesitant on offense in a way that there's no doubt in my mind um, that he's showing any sort of hesitation on offense right now. He looks completely confident. He's playing at his own pace um, and has shown great results over the past three games.
1: Absolutely. And I, so I did a, a little bit of a, a stat, a uh, deep dive into some stats. So after... That Dallas game for DeAndre Ayton where he had seven points and five rebounds. He came back in this game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, which actually has one of the best young big men that he's playing against, and had 18-12-2, and and played excellent defense, especially in the second half where they were doubling Carl Anthony Towns on the catch and Uh, It seems like Aiton is starting to get the concept of verticality down. Now, this second half of this game is where I noticed that he's just not bringing his hands down. If the big he's playing against is close to the rim, he's got both arms up. What he was doing in the past is he was keeping one hand, usually his left hand, even though it should be his right. He's keeping one hand as his dig hand, and he's putting that sort of on the ribs of the offensive player and keeping one other hand up, and what that does is it makes you lean forward, first of all, because you're kind of using them as a brace, and that turns into a lot of fouls, but it also, because you tend to lean forward, you're also coming down with your right hand when you're contesting, which also leads to a lot of fouls, but he was not doing that in this game, and, and I would say continuing on the road trip, he's keeping both his hands up, and he looks really good as he's defending. Did you notice that, actually, before I go into my deep dive? Or, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, and, and I think it's something that I've noticed it not only in the the Minnesota game, but the past couple games as well. Um, but it, it really just seems like a team culture infectious sort of attitude that maybe that energy isn't, um, well, we know it's not inherent necessarily in DeAndre because right. where was it right. for the first 30 games? Yeah. But we're seeing it now, and, and when these guys really begin to motivate each other, these uh, this great perimeter defense with all these deflections that are happening, it motivates DeAndre, I think, to be a, a better interior defender as well, and that's a great thing to see.
1: Yeah, I agree. So my deep dive for stats. What I wanted to know is, after seeing a really drastically different offensive game for DeAndre Ayton with and without Devin Booker, is I wanted to see the difference in stats for when DeAndre Ayton plays when Devin Booker plays and when he plays with Adam. So Booker's actually missed 10 games uh, or 11 games, I believe, so far this season. So there was a, a pretty significant sample size of games with Devin Booker and games without Devin Booker to compare to. So just let's just go over some of those stats that I found. So just first of all, this is the one I brought it up for, was field goal percentage. So I wanted to see what... Deandre Ayton's field goal percentage was when he plays with Devin Booker, and it's sixty percent. It's just like a flat sixty percent. When Devin Booker does not play, that drops by four percent. It goes down to fifty-six point three percent. So a pretty significant difference in percentage. Uh, the other interesting ones is eleven point one rebounds to eight point nine. So he gets significantly more rebounds. And one of my theories, Sam, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. One of my theories on this is, you know, you sort of look and say, why is he getting more? rebounds when Devin Booker's on the floor? What What is the difference? And I think, to me, the difference is we're more likely to be in the game. And when you're more likely to be in the game, you're more likely to give a little bit more of an effort. Do you think that's the case with rebounds?
3: Yeah, definitely when it comes to uh, the offensive end. Um, absolutely. The defensive end, it can fluctuate a little bit. It really <laughs> kind of depends all on, on your defense, really. I mean, um, if you're playing good defense, then you're forcing a lot of misses. Actually, that's that's a good point that I didn't even think of is um, if if the Suns are playing better defense, if the Suns are playing better in general in games where Booker and Aiden play together, then they're playing better defense. They're forcing more misses. And who's going to grab the defensive rebounds other than DeAndre Aiden right. It's not going to be TJ Warren. So that's another thing that right. contributes. But it, uh, it's also what you were saying as well, especially on the offensive end when it comes to uh, offensive rebounds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is the kind of thing when people say... Well, winning creates culture, and in a sense, it does, and, and and what that means is when you're more likely to be in the game, you're more likely to try harder, so there is a bit of a culture change from that aspect. Um, so some of the other interesting ones, just the basic points, it's 16.5 points per game when Devin Booker plays and 14.8 when he doesn't, and you can sort of attribute that to the field goal percentage jump. It's, it's probably, he gets more shots, funny enough, when Devin Booker's not playing, but if that field goal percentage is down, that makes a difference. Uh, Blocks are about the same, uh, so that that doesn't change. The one that is higher when Devin Booker does not play compared to when he does is actually assists. So he averages 2.5 assists when Devin Booker is not playing compared to 2.2 when he is. And that makes a lot of sense as well because Devin Booker being the main playmaker on the team, out of the lineup, that playmaking responsibility sort of needs to be spread out to the rest, especially now that Booker's top... I believe he's top 20 in assists in the NBA. So those assists, that playmaking, it needs to be spread out throughout the team, and obviously a little bit of that playmaking responsibility will fall onto DeAndre Ayton's shoulders. And in this case, we have this st- statistical proof that it basically does. It's a little bit more in the assists. Funny enough, the plus minus, they're both minuses, 7.9 when Booker plays to 11.8, minus 11.8 when he does not. So obviously, we're more likely to be in the game. I
3: believe only two players on the Suns are not Negatives when it comes to plus-minus. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's I, Kelly
1: Yeah, you might be One
3: right. game. <laughs> <laughs> and Dragon Bender, who's a human victory cigar.
1: <laughs> right, right. Uh, we got to see him play a little bit this week. <laughs> yeah, hopefully
3: we see more of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so actually... The rotation. So, you had some thoughts on the rotations. It was kind of rounding out. We got to see it round out in this win streak. Do you have, you had some notes on that. It's right? completely
3: rounded out. And it's all because, well, okay. So, first of all, you notice in the first couple games this week, Juwan Evans um, was still playing. And Troy Daniels actually was getting a few minutes here, a few minutes there as well. They're sort of hunted out of the rotation now, uh, to, mm-hmm. to say the least. I think Igor, with the arrival of Oubre, has solidified a nine man rotation with Melton. Uh, well, the, the starting lineup just being Melton, Booker, uh Bridges, Warren, and Ayton, and then a bench of Jamal Crawford, Josh Jackson, Kelly Oubre, and Rashawn Holmes. So a couple of things. A lot of responsibility suddenly falls on the shoulders of Josh Jackson, I think, which we've talked about in the past in terms of suddenly having to play a lot more time at the four, mm-hmm. um, if he's going to be playing in those bench lineups and, and really having to be big and strong in that way. Um, and Kelly Oubre um having to play big potentially in some lineups at the four as well. But the other thing is there's a lot of responsibility falling on the shoulders of Jamal Crawford to play point guard because outside of Melton and Booker, he's now kind of the only initiator in the Suns' um day-to-day rotation. And so far he's really risen to that challenge, I think. I mean, he's still inefficient. He's not shooting the ball well over the last 15 games, he's shooting 34% from the field. So I don't want to lie to people. I can't say that He's been the super efficient offensive player. But playmaking wise, Jamal Crawford is averaging 4.8 assists and 1.8 turnovers in 22 minutes over the past 15 Mm -hmm. games. That's sort of since he's been thrust into that increasing playmaker role where, where he's playing as the point guard a lot, or at least playing in lineups with Devin Booker. And it's just something that when we were initially talking about the signing of this guy at the beginning of the season, I did not see this coming from anywhere. We're talking about a guy who hasn't averaged over five assists per 36 minutes since 2003. 15 years. He, we have an entire career of evidence to say that he's not a playmaker. And suddenly at age 38, he's averaging seven assists per 36. And he's doing it on a good assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. I have no idea where It's it funny, came
1: from. you know. Yeah. Who would have guessed? There's The two most bizarre things, I think, that have happened this season and really bared out over the last few games is Jamal Crawford is a point guard now, apparently. And TJ Warren is like a legitimate second option on offense in a way that we can pretend like we could see this coming before. And in a sense, yeah, yeah, he could drive, he could shoot but uh, mid-range. But now he with that three-point uh, shot and his ability to sort of pass out of drives if he needs to bail out, which he almost never does because he's so good at finishing in space, it's, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> it's a whole different team.
3: And you know what too? Uh, One might even say one might e- <laughs> I can't even say it. One might even say he's big like Clay but he shoots like Steph.
1: <laughs> he's a real so buddy. stupid. He's a real buddy. <laughs> so I tweeted recently that it we need to stop <laughs> People, people who say here's here's a litmus test for whether or not people watch the Suns. If they say we have too many wings, they do not watch the Suns. They just don't. Well, yeah, it's a dumb, it's a dumb trade.
3: (laughs) You know, we can maybe still trade one in the future. Wouldn't be shocked.
1: Yes, okay. If if you're counting Dragon Bender, uh, Troy Daniels, and you know the end of the bench, if you're counting the end of the bench, then yes. But if we're looking at our, our actual rotation guys, this is how the NBA is played now. It just is. The fact that we were losing doesn't mean that we have to give up on that game plan. No, it makes sense to play these guys. And with Oubre in the fold, you can run some lineups out that are really interesting. So actually, quickly, let's talk about so the Knicks game. So this was the last game without... Uh, Kelly Oubre and we sort of knew going into it that Booker was gonna come out swinging and he did he ended the game with 38 2 and 7 clearly trying to get that 40 I think that we should have just started fouling the Knicks at the end to get him more points right (laughs) 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 it should have happened Uh, that Knicks game was the game where it's to me at least and, and and we'll see if it is the same case for you Sam but to me that game was the game where I said, this is different. This is not just a, a quick little two-game win streak. They put the clamps down on this team. They defended them really well. And then they went up by 20 or so points. They had a 41-point third quarter. And in that second half, they completely dominated on both ends of the ball and just look like a different team. I I really was impressed. Twenty one and thirteen from DeAndre, eight thirty eight two and seven from Devin Booker. Warren had twenty six points. Of course, we know the career high, fourteen assists for Jamal Crawford in this game. This is the game where I thought, okay, this is a real. This might be a real turnaround. Do you agree with that?
3: Well, it was a real team effort. It, it was maybe the right. first game in the win streak, even where just you couldn't point to a single guy and say this guy had a bad game. I mean, Jamal Crawford didn't shoot well, but he had fourteen a career high, fourteen assists, just like you were saying, Josh Jackson and Rashawn Holmes both for Josh Jackson, first of all, not only to apply the pressure that he does defensively, but then also to make shots, like it was a perfect game for him. Three right. assists, no turnovers, and five of nine shooting, like that's almost unheard of uh for, for Josh Jackson in terms of where he's been um in his career so far. TJ Warren only had twenty-six points. He should have had more, by the way, because he took eight who else in the NBA can take 18 shots and not get a single free-throw attempt uh, besides TJ Warren? Right. Um, that's maybe a conversation for a different day. I don't know. But but it was just a team effort. Everyone contributed in this one. And um, that was really the eight-man rotation that, that I was talking about before. Uh, then you just throw Oubre into the mix, and that's basically your new squad. And you
1: look at the first half of that next game. TJ Warren only had two points, and it was a close game at the half. And, and you look at the game, and you say... Wow, if TJ Warren doesn't get his in this second half, there's no way that we're going to win this. And then it turns out he had 24 points in that second half. He turned it on and he looked really good doing it. And and when they're all clicking like that, uh, you know, they can be competitive with basically anyone in the NBA, especially when you have that versatility, that wing depth. So the next game was the game against the Celtics. And this is what I wanted to get to in this game because this Celtics game and this I, it felt good. came at. It felt good, and it came at the perfect time for me personally because I had just tweeted about all these wings, and I had just had another tweet about appreciating how good DeAndre Ayton was. And what we saw in this game is what that wing depth is for. Because when you see all those wings together on the court, because they they did run out of lineup at one time that was uh, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Josh Jackson, Kelly Oubre, and deandre ayton and when you surround devin booker with three long boys like they had three guys that are defenders with long arms that can switch basically everything and then deandre ayton manning the paint in in a way that we have not seen him do up until these last few games uh you understand what the purpose is of having this wing depth you you can hide guys like Devin Booker because you have, you know, Mikael Bridges, Josh Jackson defending the point guard Or, or when Jamal Crawford's on the floor too. Jamal Crawford doesn't, even though he's playing point guard, he doesn't have to guard these point guards. And when... Boston was really trying to get something going in that second half, trying to make that comeback, and they're being physical on those switches, switching every screen or every time two players cross paths. It it really upset their offensive flow, and it did help us, of course, that their big big depth is, is down to, to Thies, basically, and uh, Robert Williams, but... Um, the wings really clicked in that game. Do you and 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 of course, Ubre looks really good.
3: You, you what do you think about that? game? You played the Celtics at their own game. I mean, they. I don't want to say they invented that strategy, but taking a defender like Kyrie Irving, who's an offensive superstar, and then surrounding him with wings like Marcus Smart, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, maybe not Marcus Morris, who has T Rex arms, but but otherwise, hmm. long boys. And playing guys out of position, you're exactly right. It's, it's about embracing the small ball fours in the modern NBA, embracing that, uh, switch heavy, uh, perimeter defensive schemes. And, uh, the Suns just played the Celtics at their own game and they won. The question is to me, TJ Warren's playing really well in the role right now. He, he still doesn't rebound the ball well. Um, and I, I just wonder how that, lineup is going to do against some of the more traditional fours in the NBA that are still left. There aren't many left, which is why I think you can get away with doing what they're doing right now with so much success. But when you play LaMarcus Aldridge and you play Blake Griffin and you play Chris Stapp's Porzingis when he's back, players like that, I, I do wonder if that is eventually going to come around and hurt the Suns if they can't find some sort of natural power forward to just hide on the roster. Someone more serviceable than Dragan Bender and Ryan Anderson Ah, uh, but mm-hmm. who can step in during those minutes and and really help with the rebounding? In Boston, Phoenix had no problem with the rebounding because Al Horford was out. DeAndre Ayton can grab rebounds over, you know, Robert Williams all day long and Tice, as you were saying, mm-hmm. but um, but against some bigger teams, the the rebounding issues are still going to be evident, and I think uh, we're probably still going to see those for the rest of the season unless there's some roster construction.
1: Yeah, and I th- I th- you're right about that. And, and a lot of that, luckily there's not a lot of that, actually, I should say. There's not a lot of teams that play two bigs, so we don't have to worry about that often. But talking about that, when that does happen, you play those teams, the, the stat that matters the most in those games are, are the three-point shots dropping. And this is why people don't like this this version of the NBA, right? Because the first thing you look at when you're playing a team with two bigs and you're playing the small ball lineup is, it, did we beat them in the long game. And if you did, you can probably win those matchups. But the other thing is, the reason these defenses work with the switching, this is when people talk about effort, this is when it matters. Because part of what happens with these switchy defenses, and and the, the only way that they're going to work, is if everyone is locked in and everyone is being not only physical, but reacting incredibly quickly to what offenses are doing, because offensive ha- offenses tend to have game plans against switching defenses, and a lot of that is slipping screens, and, and sometimes it's isoing, and isoing, there's not much you can do if you're playing a guy like Kyrie Irving, he's going to get you every once in a while, James Harden is going to get you every once in a while, but your your whole goal would be shutting down everyone else and making sure that's the only offensive plan that they have. And to see them all on the court at the same time, and of course TJ Warren in and out of that lineup as well, I mean to leave him out, but that, that was the lineup they ran with Josh Jackson on the floor, uh, to see them be physical and jump quick in those screens and switch quickly and smartly over and over again, that's the type of thing that when you look at it, you don't say, this isn't, this isn't just a lucky win. These are guys who are giving full effort and playing really hard because that type of switching defense, it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm looking forward to seeing it because Ubre fit right in and he moves around on the court in a way that Trevor Reyes just can't anymore just because he's an older guy.
3: Yeah, the, the effort was really showing in the second half of that Boston game. Um, Boston shot, and I should have looked this up before we recorded, I think it was 38% in the second half and they scored 41 points. They scored 37 in the first quarter and the Suns held them to almost as few points as that in the entire second half. Um and and guys were just running all over the court. Uh, the Celtics are a good passing team generally too, so they had to put a lot of effort in uh, on defense, but it paid off. By the way, you mentioned this is unrelated to the Suns, but I just wanted to say you mentioned James Harden's going to kill mm-hmm. you in isolation sometimes. Did you see the stat That James Harden has twice as many unassisted threes as the next best player in the NBA right now. Yeah. And that's like was my mind blowing stat of the day. Like he has twice as many unassisted threes as Kemba Walker, who has the second most in the NBA. Yeah. Which
1: is also a new aspect of, of of Kemba Walker's game. That's not something that he did in previous years. It's the reason he's exploded so much this season. It's it's the future of the NBA. Is the unassisted three point. I think. Unfortunately, I think, it's not that fun I, to watch.
3: Well, of course, yeah. It's well, it's why people hate James hate watching James Harden that in the free throws. But if Devin Booker, I think Evan Sidery tweeted out. Um, this was like a few weeks ago. When Booker was back, but he obviously wasn't fully back, that he was really struggling with his uh, pull-up three-point percentage this season mm-hmm. compared to last season. I haven't pulled up those stats again uh, in the meantime to see if they're any better at this point. But if he can develop that same sort of ability that Harden has, which he doesn't quite have yet, but just attacking in isolation to that um, to that level, not even having to rely on the pick and roll whatsoever, then. That's just a truly dominant offense that you have there.
1: He's just got to add that double step back <laughs> yeah. to his game. He just needs to travel more. Now, it's a frustrating thing when you watch James Harden because you know what he's going to do. You know he's going to hit that step back, and you know he's going to shoot it over you. And, and if you play up on him, he can drive right by you. It, he's an incredible offensive player. Um, let's take a quick break And when we come back, Sam I, I didn't tell you about this But I want to talk about Who gets credit for this turnaround who, who do you think deserves credit for it So we'll be right back And we'll talk about that Don't you give me all that jive About things you wrote Before eyes was alive Cause this ain't 1823 Ain't even 1970 Now I'm the guy Named Curtis Blow And Christmas is one thing I know So every year Just about this time I celebrate it With a rhyme Going to shake it, going to bake it, going to make it good. Going to rock, chalk, chalk it through your neighborhood. Going to read, going to sing it till it's understood. My rap about to happen like a knee. You were slapping or Okay, four wins and a marked improvement in effort. A lot of guys looking a lot better. Uh, DeAndre Ayton looks a lot happier. And uh, the team just looks different. And and you can sort of look at the roster, the front office, the coaching and and you can sort of split credit between all of them. But I, I just want to see what you think uh, this turnaround can be attributed to. I think Igor does deserve a lot of credit. But in a sense, there have been some moves made by James Jones so far in this season. The first one being... Uh, well, first off, uh, Tyson Chandler's gone. Isaiah kanan has gone. Jawan Evans was brought onto the team. He didn't really play much because they quickly moved on to something else. De'Anthony Milton was brought in the starting lineup. That can be attributed to both uh, the front office and, of course, Igor Kokoshkov. And then, sort of letting Austin Rivers go, Trevor Reza trade, bringing Kelly Oubre in. Those are all to me. Those are James Jones moves. And James Jones seems to be trying to mold a culture where there was none. So in my mind, a lot of this credit actually goes to James Jones. You gotta get rid of the guys that are negative in the locker room. And even if that means that uh, people who barely follow the Suns are going to tweet about the moves made and make fun of them. I, it shouldn't matter. I think he's done a good job. And of course, a lot of it can go to Igor Kokoshkov, And even if you want to get down to the lineups, you can say guys like D'Anthony Melton, Mikhail Bridges, and Rashawn Holmes just constantly giving it all, the, all on the court at all times. That just brings it up for everyone else. So in your mind, who do you think deserves the bulk of the credit for this
3: turnaround? A bit of a cop-out answer, but if we're talking about James Jones versus Igor I wouldn't, you know, I don't think that's the type of thing we can really parse through after a, a single right. four game win streak to say one deserves more credit or the other. Um where we weren't there in trade negotiations during the Great Brooks War of 2018 to really know what happened on that night and similarly <laughs> we we haven't been in practice so we're, we don't really see what Igor is telling his guys. Um but if we go down into lineups, which I do feel a lot more comfortable speaking about since D'Anthony Melton entered the starting lineup, really since he started getting playtime, the Suns have improved drastically. Um, so, you know, obviously Devin Booker's back, Ticha Warren's back. That's the most important thing. But D'Anthony Melton, there is no point guard that we were talking about at the beginning of the season, maybe save for Spencer Dinwiddie. But other than that, there's no point guard we could have acquired uh, that would be better than D'Anthony Melton is playing right now. Terry Rozier would not be better than he's playing right now. Markel Fultz would not be better than he's right. playing right now. He's right. averaging, since he entered the starting lineup, he's shooting 36% from three. He's showing himself as a good catch-and-shoot threat. He's averaging 4.4 assists to 2.6 turnovers, a, a pretty good assist-to-turnover ratio for a guy where one of our main concerns was that he couldn't really be a playmaker coming into this league. And obviously, um, He's among the league leaders in deflections per game. He's averaging close to two steals per game in that span. So, you know, that's a guy that I can really just point at and say his effort has been infectious. And if he continues on the current path that he's on, then maybe he could be a sort of uh, version of Marcus Smart or Patrick Beverly, maybe even as a better comparison for the Suns because he already has more of a jumper than Marcus Smart ever has.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, you, and you're right. DeAnthony Melton deserves a lot of the credit. And, and you know, Not like in a sense, what we want... No, Bulk, bulk no, still goes to
3: Booker and Warren.
1: Of course. You can't give any one player Bulk of the credit except for guys like Booker in general. But just to sort of cap off this conversation before we start to preview next week's games, if it was announced tomorrow that James Jones was extended to be the general manager of the team for the next few years. How would you feel about that at this point?
3: That's a really good question. Um, and I'm glad you didn't give me an opportunity to think about it before. <laughs> <laughs> um, is its it, is it going to annoy you if I say that I don't think we've seen enough from him for me to like that necessarily? No,
1: it's an early, t- it's an early point to ask that question. And no. I'm aware of that. I'm just sort of taking a temperature check because – uh, it's on to me it's on the general manager to to create a culture more than it's on anyone else because they have the most control over the personnel and personnel makes the biggest difference in culture to me and if culture is really swinging in the right direction uh you got to kind of lock that a guy like that up if you have to so james jones knows he knows what a good culture is like right we talked about this i saw somebody i think it was reddit that talked about uh, he's almost the opposite of McDonough in that every move he's made was with culture in mind, whereas McDonough was a guy who just looked at the players and and just said they should fit together because these numbers say they should fit together. And in the way that uh, James Jones has made these moves so far, not that we can even know for sure that it was his moves, but assuming it is, I like him. I, I, I'm feeling relatively good. So yeah, things can change over the next few weeks, but from my perspective, I feel pretty good about him.
3: I, I wish we had a bit more of an indication, almost like a, a another state of the suns event. Remember when right. they had that for season ticket holders? Because Robert right. Starver goes on the radio at the beginning of the season. He says the the switch is flipped, as he sort of famously said, as we've been quoting ever since then. Okay, but then you go, you start four and twenty four, you release a couple of veterans, and where is this team at right now? They're gonna have cap space yeah. next summer. To what extent are they actually interested in using that cap space? To what, how, how much of a push, um, are they going to make in terms of re-signing a guy like Kelly Oubre, who they just traded for? I, I presume a lot, uh, given that he's the now the only piece that they really got back in that deal since Rivers was traded. So I would like to hear from James Jones. The thing I always liked about Ryan McDonough was how open he seemed, at least on the surface. Um, he seemed to have mm-hmm. a very good logical way of e- explaining through the reasons why he was doing what he was doing, even though he so frequently, you know, made mistakes. But we haven't really seen from James Jones yet, and and this isn't his fault. It's just uh, we just haven't haven't seen it yet. And maybe because no one is asking him these questions. Is are the Suns really rebuilding, or are they not? And and next season, are they going to go full speed ahead in terms of trying to acquire more veterans and really put this team on a fast track to playoff contention? Uh, or are they going to sort of focus more on the internal culture of the players that they have right now and try to let this unit grow together?
1: Yeah, I'd be surprised if they even knew, right, at this point. I think that they're feeling it out the same way that we are, just sort of as we cover the team. But you do bring up a good point, and that is the expectations going forward. And I think we should say, what should we expect out of this team after seeing these ne- these last four games and the-, and the change that has sort of appeared on the court and and to that end, let's look at the next few games that are coming up before the next time that we're going to be able to record, or that I'm going to be able to record. Actually, quickly, let's talk about this. Um, early podcast this week. You guys, some of you guys who pay attention to the dates that we normally release, uh, will probably notice that we're releasing an early podcast this week. Two reasons for that: one, people are traveling. Uh, for the holidays, and there's a win streak. It's a good time to record a podcast, as far as we're concerned, because we get to talk about positive <laughs> you gotta things get into and
3: positive hopefully things before they end.
1: <laughs> yeah, if they do, let's let's talk about it now. And uh, and also, people will have a chance to listen over the next few days, hopefully, as they travel. It's a, for me. I know when I am on a on a road trip or or on a plane, I download a bunch of podcasts and I fill it up with that. So hopefully, you guys are listening to us before you see your families. But the other part of that is Sam, you're going to be gone for a while, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm going to be gone for the for the next couple of weeks. Um, I've been really I'm traveling to Iceland and and then the UK. Um, I've been really excited for this, but I, I'm also kicking myself because I didn't expect the Suns to go on this win streak <laughs> all of a sudden. So now I'm sad that I'm <laughs> a couple of episodes.
1: It's hilarious. It's hilarious to me that I well, couldn't it it's have the wind streak of course. a month ago. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. It would have been good timing, but I don't know. Maybe the, the value of our first round pick is, is a, as high as it can be considering the team is playing pretty well right now. So um we'll see what we do with that. That's a whole nother conversation for another day. Uh, But So it's an early one this week. That means that there's quite a few games between now and the next time that I record. I will still continue to release podcasts weekly. Hopefully, it won't be by myself. I assume I will be having uh, some guest hosts on to fill in uh, Sam's big shoes. No one
3: one wants to hear you ramble ramble on by yourself. Can you imagine...
1: If I just go full Colin Coward by myself, just a bottle of uh of vodka with me just uh complaining about LeBron. James. I for the record will
3: still be on Reddit and Twitter. And um and even in Iceland, you know, I, I think I can still catch some of the games. Um at a certain point yeah, I can catch the games that are gonna be on at two AM, three AM in Europe. Yeah. But some of them I will be able to
1: Well Yeah. If we're going on a seven eight game win streak, I imagine you might be staying up kinda late. <laughs> <laughs> uh so that means there's quite a few games, and I don't. We don't have to. Sam, we don't have to cover each one individually. But let's just look at what we're what we're looking at. So there's Washington, Brooklyn, Orlando to finish up this road trip. Obviously, that Washington game is very interesting. First of all, since the trade, Trevor Riza on Washington are zero and two, so they've lost both games with Trevor Riza, including one to the Hawks. So not so good there so far. And then the uh, Wizards giving up on Kelly Oubre. When you trade a young player like that early in their career, there's a sign. There's a sign. What you're saying is whatever you're going to be valued for on the market next year, we're not willing to pay. And that means when guys like that go back to where they're from, they really want to win. That means this game has an interesting storyline with Washington. So, uh, you know, the Wizards are a little up and down. So there's no way in knowing what team we're going to get. But the way the Suns are playing, this is a winnable game to me. What do yeah, you think?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I posted on Twitter uh <clears throat> last night, I think. Cuz I it must have been last night. It's when we did that stat thread. TJ Warren, remember his career high yes. 40-point game that was at Washington last yeah. year? Not saying that that's going to happen again, but um it it would be nice. I, I definitely think this is a winnable game for the Suns. No matchup nightmares on this Washington team. I mean, you know, even well, I guess John Wall on D. Anthony Melton or, or Brad Beal on Devin Booker, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to mentally like sort of go through their roster. I don't really see any any real issues with the Suns playing as well as they are right now. Um, it should be maybe a fifty fifty toss up type of game.
1: In crunch time, it will be interesting to see the wings that are on the floor and if we leave a guy like De'Anthony Melton on the floor to guard John Wall, or if we just go with the wings because they got Otto Porter, Brad Beal, and have having some long guys on them. Although Otto Porter, it should be said, not playing very well so far this season, especially. Up to what he's getting paid, so not a huge, huge threat. If if we do hide Devin Booker on anyone, I have a feeling it's going to be Otto Porter because I don't think that even Otto Porter can take Devin Booker off the dribble, especially with the newfound defensive effort that Devin Booker's putting in. The next game is actually pretty interesting. Brooklyn is the other team on a win streak right now. Brooklyn's, I believe, they're on a seven-game longest win streak, in the NBA uh, as we yeah. speak. And if it's the longest if in the we NBA, beat
3: Washington and they beat Indiana, which is their next game. It'll be five games in a row for the Suns, eight games in a row for Brooklyn, and that, that suddenly right. will be a very hyped game, as the two. Who knew?
1: <laughs> Who knew? No Karis LeVert on Brooklyn as well. And the saddest,
3: the saddest part is, that game's in Brooklyn, I could go. But, you know. <laughs> you I won't, you be, won't
1: there. be there, will you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I think man. <laughs> the Barclays are pretty cheap, too. I don't know if you've se- noticed uh, this ever. I don't know. If- to the extent to which people pay attention to attendance numbers, but you would think Brooklyn being in a big market would have good attendance figures. They really, they really don't. New York is like, it's like the Cubs and the white Sox. You know how everyone in Chicago identifies, I don't know if you're a baseball fan at all. Actually we've never talked about baseball, but how everyone (laughs) in Chicago uh, identifies as a Cubs fan and, and you'd be hard pressed to even find a white Sox fan, even though that, you know, they're both in Chicago. It's a similar premise with uh, New York. Brooklyn, I think, is like 27th Mm -hmm. or 28th in attendance, and they're in one of the biggest, the biggest city uh, in the United States.
1: It's similar to the Clippers and the Lakers when the Clippers were good and the Lakers weren't. Yeah, maybe a better uh, comparison. Yeah. For the record, I haven't watched a baseball game in like five or six years, but I do follow baseball. I sort of follow where the teams are at and what's happening. Baseball, not that interesting to watch. If we're
3: gonna go on this on this tangent, baseball. Most of our listeners are younger. We do have some older listeners. But younger people don't like baseball because baseball just isn't they don't allow the players to market themselves in the same way. They don't allow the storylines right. because yeah. NBA fans love storylines the, right. the anyone could tell you. I don't know. I feel like any sports fan could tell you all sorts of crazy things about the top 10 best players in the NBA these days. Most mm-hmm. people uh, couldn't pick Mike Trout, who's one of you know the best talent in baseball in this generation. By far, most people couldn't mm-hmm. pick Mike Trout off the street. He doesn't have right. any personality, and that's just how it works with that league.
1: And that's why it's not going to be very big for very long. You have to adapt. You have to adapt. Part of what makes following the NBA fun, I know tangents, but part of what makes following the NBA fun is being able to go on Twitter when something insane happens and watching the entire fan base of the NBA or fan bases of individual teams interact with that content in a way that no other sport has ever done in the past. It It's what makes the NBA fun. It's, it's what makes it funny, in N- a way.
3: The NBA is just wrestling, but real.
1: Yes, that's exactly. What makes it cool.
3: no, it's, that's what makes it a... That's effective.
1: why Embiid is great. It's all know? of the drama
3: of the WWE, but knowing that the games actually matter. Right. Now, that's not exactly. a knock. That's not a knock on wrestling for no. any wrestling fans there. But I'm saying, you know, it's, it's a good formula for success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In a sense... For us, I know now it's about us, but the way that we do this podcast is we also embrace the idea of the storylines. We're not just talking about basketball because I think, to me, what makes the NBA fun is both of that. You can have the basketball and you can talk about the details of what's happening, but we can also talk about really wanting to see DeAndre Ayton uh, dunk on Joel Embiid or really wanting to see Kelly Oubre stepping to Washington and destroy them on his game back after they gave up on him. And to that end... Even seeing the Suns beat Brooklyn as Jared Dudley sort of uh, talks about how great this win streak is and as he gives away 400 tickets to every game because they can't sell any, uh, it would be a nice time to <laughs> go in there and beat Brooklyn. Uh, you know, I, I know it's a small thing, but any motivation to watch a game, uh, it, I'll take it because that's that's what it takes. In the past, that's what it took to watch Suns games. Right now, as they're on a win streak, I'd watch all of these games regardless. Mike. But,
3: you just admitted that you know nothing about basketball. That you're in it for the narratives only. You'll you'll say oh, yeah. any narrative that suits this podcast. Absolutely,
1: Basically, I love the
3: narratives. I'm not shying away from that. You're a brain dead chill <laughs> and anti intellectual basketball fan. <laughs> <laughs> now we're not. We we uh, try to come up with reasonable narratives on this podcast.
1: Yeah, the narratives and the basketball. We we cover both. We cover both. And, and they're all characters in this TV show we watch. Even the reporters are characters in this TV show we watch. Uh, Woj, for example. Um, but anyway, the next game, Washington, Brooklyn, Orlando. That's the end of the road trip. So Orlando. Uh, who knows what Orlando team we're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I, that's, to me, that's the least interesting game uh, of this week, of this week that has five games. Uh, that's that's the one that i find the least interesting. Or, Orlando just there's not much to watch about them. They have some young guys, they have some big guys. I I do think that we could win that game as well if we play like we've been playing for uh, all three of these games to me are winnable. We could end this road trip on a 7 game win streak. Very difficult as we know uh because uh, you know on the road to win that many games in a row is hard, but Devin Booker tends to play well on Eastern Conference road trips. He kills Eastern Conference teams. So it's very, very possible. Do you have any thoughts on that boring Orlando game?
3: <laughs> uh, well, no, no NBA game is boring per se,
1: but. well, the one storyline—if we're going to build a narrative—the team that uh, Devin Booker has scored the least against—that's true—is Orlando. I'm 14, that. Fourteen points every I time believe.
3: you bring it up. Um, the only—I mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, every time I check a box score with Orlando, because actually, you know what? You're right. It's a boring team. I don't watch the Magic. I know that's hypocritical <laughs> yeah, for me does. to say as a Suns fan. I know, I don't, but here's the thing. I don't expect anyone to watch us either. Until yeah. a week ago, we were garbage. So, uh, right. but with Orlando, I mean, it seems like every other game they're either getting blown out or blowing someone else out. Uh, cuz they're right. almost at 500, I know it means less in the Eastern Conference being 14 and 16, but Nico Vucevic still right. having a very good season, they still could conceivably mm-hmm. win with the home court advantage. Um, but it, it's just like the Washington game. I think it's a toss-up with as well as the the suns are playing at this point
1: i actually think actually to that point although brooklyn's playing very well that orlando game i think i would favor orlando the most of any team that we're playing so far mainly because it's the last game of a long road trip five a five game road trip those are technically schedule losses in a lot of cases it's difficult for any team to win on the last game
3: of a long road trip do you want another really quick tangent sure how well do you think aaron gordon would fit on this suns team well that is very interesting. Remember when we were remember when we were debating free agency? Yeah. That's why I asked. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I, I do. And uh, you know what? I don't think he would be that bad. But with the, you know, the resurgence or the the surge of T.J. Warren, the way T.J. Warren's been playing so far, I'm pretty glad it didn't happen. I think that developing T.J. Warren into the threat that he's become is very, very important to this team, and I don't know that that would have happened coming off the bench. And, and maybe maybe it would have, or maybe he wouldn't have come off the bench. Who knows what the situation would be like. That's a really interesting what if.
3: Well, the way, the way I see it is you would basically be paying Aaron Gordon twice as much to be a better defender, albeit, but still and not rebounder. the offensive player at power forward that TJ Warren has become.
1: What is interesting about a guy like Aaron Gordon is for a guy that makes the spectacular plays that he does. He tends to be invisible quite a bit. He'll disappear on the court and and he'll go a game where he scores. He's had games where he scored zero points this season. So, uh, you know, he, he can disappear. It's possible. So I'm glad it didn't happen. Is that crazy to say on a team that doesn't have a ton of great players? I'm glad that we don't have a guy like that.
3: Uh, no, it, it it makes sense. You've got to use your money wisely, you know, although I will still say Fred Van Vliet, struggling a little bit in Toronto but you're you'll remember I was on the Van Vleet wagon wouldn't have been the worst move for us I don't think this off in hindsight right. um since we went for a reason instead
1: Yeah I wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded that either Now this if somehow the Phoenix Suns end this on the longest win streak they've had since the Steve Nash days in a, on a 7 game win streak they come back and on a back-to-back uh weekend Friday and Saturday home games OKC and Denver, those are going to be hard. These are definitely the hardest games that, uh, that that we've talked about in a while. OKC has one of the best defenses in the NBA. Denver has the best offense in the NBA. Uh, and I believe Denver might be, I haven't looked at the standings recently, but they might be number one in the West. And I think they were as of recently. So very difficult. OKC will put the clamps down and Denver uh, we saw what uh, no- uh, Nikola Jokic has done to DeAndre Ayton in the past, and it'll be interesting to see how his defensive improvement stands up to a guy like him on a back-to-back. That's what makes it really difficult.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are probably losses. Realistically, the Suns have to come back down to earth at some point. Uh, I-, I hate to be the, <laughs> I hate to bring bad news, but fifty-eight and twenty-four. Probably not going to have it. Or as I think I saw on Reddit, actually 74-24. and 24, That implies that they're going to sweep straight through the playoffs uh, and win it all in 16 games. Um, eventually, the Suns are going to start facing the hard teams again. Um, luckily, the schedule is giving them a bit of a break right now. Uh, but, w- but once they do, the Nuggets and, and the Thunder are really, really tough games. I mean, this team beat the Bucks. That was impressive. They've been the Celtics now. That was impressive. But it would take every single player on the roster playing at their best in order to beat those two teams, especially both of them.
1: What we should do is crowdfund courtside seats for Greta at both of these games. <laughs>
3: yeah, she's good luck.
1: <laughs> she's good luck. Alright, so an interesting week leading up till now, an interesting week coming up. Um, I hope everyone listening has a fantastic holiday season. Sam, this will be the last time that we talk in the year uh, 2018 i believe the next podcast we record together will be in 2019 how do you feel about the year for the timeline podcast a pretty good year for us so far we've, we've gotten into the groove of things it's the right? only
3: year we've had in our existence it's certainly it's the best year we've ever had it's also been the worst year we've ever had so <laughs>
1: That's but you know true. we're gonna we're gonna
3: keep this going. We've had a lot of people reach out to us recently who have uh, said things like they only recently discovered the podcast but they love it so far or you know, they share their feedback with us. Um so that's yeah. that's obviously always appreciated and we're gonna I, I think at this point it's safe to say, Mike, we're not going anywhere. So we're gonna keep going yes. for a little while. Tell your friends. And, uh, tell your and friends. Tell your friends.
1: Rate us, review us. Have a good Christmas as well. <laughs> Sam, say goodbye to the people.
3: Goodbye, people. I'm very sorry to be leaving you, but uh, I can't wait to return in, I guess it'll be three weeks. It's only going to be two episodes without me. And and I'm the weaker link here anyway, so it'll be okay. Michael, hold down the fort for two weeks. Uh, we already have some ideas for potential guests that, that could be really interesting that could come on.
1: Hopefully a nice little Christmas uh, gift for you guys coming soon, too. So how do you feel about Mr. Sarver as a businessman?
2: I feel about Mr. Sarver as a person, whether it's personal or business. He is very stingy. You don't, he's, you don't strike he's me a as... Wealthy, he's a wealthy man, right. and I don't object to that.
0: I'm so with her on this. Are you guys yeah. with her on this? Yeah. Are, you yeah. her on this? You are you with her on this? up, I up, mean, Greta! up, Greta! up. We yeah. are very excited. She is so right about everything
1: it is that
0: she thinks.
1: You just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to The Timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more... Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.